Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to July. Hope you had a good weekend. We have lots to talk about as we kick off the week and kick off the month. And, of course, we have uh, the talks in Japan that took place over the weekends and some optimism coming from that. Uh, we also have uh, USDA numbers from Friday and a lot of people upset about those numbers. Uh, we'll talk about that today. And um, joining us on the show today, we'll have Erin Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. We'll get her reaction to the talks between the U.S. and China at the G20 meeting. Basically, they agreed to keep talking and uh, not to throw any tariffs at each other for a while. So uh, that is viewed mostly as positive, but we'll get some insight from Aaron Ennis and then more on those talks, not only with China, but also the talks with Japan. Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation will join us a little bit later on in the program as well. And we always talk about weather. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson joins us uh, with a July forecast. We had a July feel in some parts of the country with some much needed warmer weather, but uh, we'll get a closer look at the forecast here a little bit later on. But right now we're going to kick things off, a look at the news. We're glad to have from AgriPulse Communications, Sarah Wyant. Sarah, good to have you back with us. And Wow, lots to talk about as we kick off this month of July. I said going into the G20 meetings, I, I guess it would be a um, considered a successful round of talks if they just agree to keep talking, and basically that's what they've done, the U.S. and China. Absolutely, Mike. Good morning. Happy July. Uh, it's good to be back with you, and it is uh, terrific to hear that they have resumed their talks. I don't think it was really something that was too much of a surprise for a lot of us who've been watching this because we know that President Trump really wants to get a deal done. He says he doesn't want to rush it, but he does want to get a deal done because he knows that these tariffs have been hurting some sectors of the economy. And as the presidential campaign ramps up, uh, he needs the political base out in farm country. So they'll continue to talk and the other part of it was no new tariffs for the time being so that's always a positive as well well it is there was a threat of another 300 billion in additional tariffs uh so those aren't going to be imposed the current tariffs are going to stay on uh there were concessions made regarding huawei and the ability to purchase some components from u.s manufacturers uh and that created some pushback from people like Senator Marco Rubio that you may have seen. But all in all, uh, the president was very bullish that the Chinese would continue to buy uh, additional agricultural products while the negotiations continue. Of course, we don't have a time frame. We don't have details on what they're going to buy. Uh, but we do have his, tweet, his tweets that say that this is going to be good for the wonderful Midwestern farmers. So stay yeah. tuned on exactly what. Yeah, the president said China is going to be buying a tremendous amount of food and agricultural product, and they're going to start that very soon, almost immediately. We're going to give them lists of things we'd like them to buy. Our farmers are going to be a tremendous beneficiary. Uh, that sounds a little uh, overly optimistic that we're going to hand China a list and say, please buy these products. 
Well, yeah, absolutely it is. But we were heartened to see the big purchase of soybeans on Friday, 544,000 metric tons. And of course, they were back in the market buying pork again uh, the previous week. So there were some good signs. But you cannot be uh, disillusioned to think that the strong arm of the Communist Party isn't going to just you know roll over in light of these demands. Uh, there's a very strong nationalist uh, leader uh, that has been emerging and being a little bit of, I think, a, a, a pain in the side of, of uh, President Xi. Uh, and he's got some other support within the Communist Party. And so, you know, they don't really want the U.S. to be viewed as taking advantage of them. So they need to continue these discussions, and, and hopefully it can be a win-win for the Chinese as well as the U.S. So a positive step, and we'll see where it takes us. Meanwhile, things seem more positive uh, as well with Japan and uh, some talk of a deal getting done there sometime uh, soon. And that's really a big prize as well. So um, certainly the G20 meeting, I think, was very good for President Trump. And then, of course, uh, last week we also had Speaker Pelosi talking about the need to get USMCA done. Uh, of course, uh, the Democrats still have some concerns. They'd like to see further negotiations to change provisions on enforcement for labor and But it would be wonderful if a lot of folks could be talking up the need to get the USMCA deal done before the August recess so that farmers could at least have some certainty on trade with two of our biggest trading partners. What do you make of what we're hearing from House Democrats on UFMCA? I mean, they they have a big public showing, uh, talking about their concerns with it and how things have to be changed in it, and then you still have Nancy Pelosi saying, we want to pass this bill. Uh, what are the signals that uh, – are these mixed signals, or, or, or what do you see going on there with the Democrats on this? Well, I don't think any of it's unexpected. You've got people like Rosa DeLauro, a Democrat from who's long been concerned about some of those standards and enforcement. But once you open up an agreement, it's very difficult to make sure that not everything is subject to renegotiation. So it's going to be something that I think uh, Trade Ambassador Robert Lighthizer uh, will be continue to meet with Democrats and see if he can find that sweet spot in terms of trying to give them the ability to show greater enforcement without doing something that's going to upset our other trading partners. And as you know, Mike, the Mexicans have already approved the agreement. So it's going to be difficult to add too much for what a country has already agreed to pass. Uh, so I, I think that there'll be an ability to find that sweet spot. It's just going to take a little bit more time. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi uh, has her own challenges within her own party and we saw her break away from some of them on the immigration uh, bill. So we'll, we'll see what she's willing to do on this. Absolutely. He's really witnessed that last week. But I think that a lot of this is also going to depend on how much people start to put the pressure on. And I believe you're going to see a, a additional ramping up of interest groups like farm organizations trying to contact their members of Congress and talk about the importance of getting USMCA done. All right, Sarah, always good to talk with you. Good to have you back. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. All right, that, you too. Sarah Wyan, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. So we'll watch and see on the trade front uh, if momentum can get built up 
to get USMCA passed, and where do the uh, positive vibes from uh, this past weekend's meetings between the U.S. and China, where does that lead us? We'll talk about that later with Erin Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. How does she uh, read what uh, took place uh, at the G20 meeting, and where does she see this going with China? But up next, where are we going with the weather? We have a new month. What's uh, what's in store for us weather-wise this month of July? We'll find out from DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. He'll join us next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So all that coming up on today's program as we kick off a week that will no doubt have a lot of discussion, a lot of attention later this week on the G20 meeting. Let's talk it over with Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, thanks for joining us. A lot of hopes pinned on uh, these meetings this week. Right, and a lot of hopes pinned on a lot of different directions, too, because keep in mind, you know, the president announced last week that he was planning on meeting with uh, President Xi Jinping of China at this upcoming G20 meeting. But also keep in mind there's going to be some sideline negotiations between uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and his Japanese counterpart about potentially moving along a deal in uh, in that country as well. So I know China is going to catch a lot of the headlines, but for agriculture, another you know another big deal to watch this week is going to be how those talks uh, come out. Uh, you know what what results from those talks with Japan. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov drugdisposal. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, after the uh, weather challenges of April, May, and June, what does July hold for us? Let's uh, check in with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, it felt more summer-like in a lot of the Midwest uh, the last week of June. What's ahead for us now that we've turned the calendar to July? Well, hi, Mike. Uh, The scenario is going to be um, a little bit more summer-like, obviously, during this week particularly. Uh, We've got high pressure out of the uh, southern plains that... Uh, pretty well set in over uh, the central part of the U.S. over the weekend. And uh, along with that, we've got uh, storms over the northern Midwest. But the big uh, feature was summer-like heat, typical for the month of July. And that is going to stay with us uh, during this week uh, with uh, rainfall kind of moving back into the forecast over uh, most of the Midwest anyway over the next uh, week to 10 days. So it's uh, you know somewhat variable, but uh, it's not nothing uh, like a uh, you know like a return to just a, uh, you know very very wet and uh, flooding type uh, conditions over most areas. There's been a lot of concern. It's amazing how quickly we can shift uh, on our concerns here. But after all the wet weather we've had, uh, now there's a concern in some places. It's just going to turn all hot and dry. Uh, is that in the forecast at all? Doesn't look like it. Um, you know, looking at our DTN uh, seven-day precip chart, uh, we're looking for um, anywhere from inch and a half to two and a half inch rainfall over a pretty big uh, swath of the northern and central parts of the U.S. I mean, running from uh, Montana and North Dakota, southeast, pretty much through the entire Midwest, and then all the way into the Carolina coast. Now, south of that, uh, there's going to be lighter rainfall in the central and the southern plains. But, you know, I've got to think that that's a pretty decent uh, pattern when uh, you take care of wheat harvest, when you think about how they have been uh, very much delayed in their wheat harvest beginning. So um, in aggregate, in total, uh, this is not a suddenly dry and hot pattern that uh, we've got coming up. Well, that's uh, that's good to hear because, um, you know, there's so many challenges and we've got this crop is so far behind and we've got a lot of catching up to do. Is there any certain uh, weather system that you're watching that would start taking control here in July or, or, or what do you see building or shaping up? The uh, the main feature to me is that the um, upper air patterns are, are transitory and not uh, – truly locking in place over any one particular area for an extended period of time. For example, today there is upper-level high pressure that runs from El Paso, Texas, uh, north almost to La Crosse, Wisconsin. And, you know, that is bringing uh, temperatures that are quite uh, warm to hot. Uh, We're going to see a lot of readings in the 90s today over the central and the southern U.S. North of that, uh, it's going to be cooler. And if this uh, feature were to just uh, make camp 
for, say, uh, a period of two weeks, uh, it could get pretty stressful. There's no doubt about it. But the uh, 10-day forecast charts are showing this bubble of high pressure migrating west to the west coast and uh, into the Great Basin. And along with that, uh, there is a cooler round of uh, low pressure out of eastern Canada that develops and kind of slides into the Great Lakes in the Midwest. And that's where we find then uh, the chance for uh, these uh, periodic rains to form over the next uh, 10 days to two weeks. So the, uh, so the fact that there's not a, a, um, a solid two-week stretch of uh, warm to hot and dry conditions but uh, showing some changing uh, kind of back and forth to a little bit more variability uh, makes me think that at this point uh, this is a favorable setup for crop development. Now, that doesn't cure all of the uh, ills that, that uh, crop areas have uh, from how wet things were during this past spring. There is no doubt that there is a, a late scenario on crop uh, beginnings and a lot of uh, real wide uh, ranges in how things are shaping up. But uh, from this point here in, in uh, early July, the 1st of July, through about the middle of the month, uh, conditions are going to be about as beneficial as I can think of uh, for the midsummer time frame. That may be the best forecast you've given us in three months. Well, you know, best in terms of uh, the the impact. I think the that there was a yeah. fairly accurate one from time to time. But I understand yeah, where yeah. you're coming from, and no and no doubt about it. I mean, this is, uh, you know, th- this is a a feature that that uh, that crop conditions are looking for that crops need because uh, there's been a, a, just a whole uh, boatload, and that is a, you know, that pun is intended, there's been a whole boatload of, of uh, bad things that have been thrown at, uh, at uh, our farming industry over the past uh, three months, uh, almost solid. Yeah, I meant best in terms of favorable, for sure. Uh, not, I understand. Not, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, that extremely hot weather uh, that we're glad to avoid, it is actually in places like France, right? I mean, they they've been getting cooked over there. Yeah, it, it's been a it's been a uh, a tremendously hot uh, spell over in Europe, and uh, and I I've seen the uh, the effect of that because I'll have to say I'm a I am a soccer fan, and mm-hmm. I've been following the uh, Women's World Cup, and uh, even these even these uh, these women who are who are professional athletes have had a water break uh, during the games in the past uh, week over in France because it's been so hot and stressful and uh, the the uh, the heat that that has uh, been experienced has been at all-time record highs in Germany uh, France is close to it Spain has uh, has had similar features as well with temperatures topping a hundred Fahrenheit and uh, it has uh, certainly taken the edge off the wheat crop in uh, Europe not enough to uh, cause a real uh, definite calamity but it's taken some of the yield out now now what's going to be interesting to follow for me is if this heat stays through the rest of the summer because back in 2003 Mike there was a uh, midsummer to late summer hot spell that formed in Europe that uh, made a real harsh impact on the corn crop it it took corn yields in france down quite a bit and um, it it actually helped to uh, cause a late summer uh, crop rally crop price rally here in the u.s 
because of that. So what happens from now through the rest of uh, July into August is going to be real important to see if this is just a temporary heat wave or if it's one that's going to reform. What about some of the other uh, areas around the world, uh, Australia, South America, some of those places? Yes, in Australia, uh, the, the trend is looking a little bit better for their uh, their wheat crop to get some rain uh, here in the next uh, five to seven days, both in Western Australia and in the eastern part of the of the continent. And uh, Queensland and New South Wales especially need the rainfall, and it looks like they're going to get some of that. So uh, maybe some uh, maybe some uh, drawdown in their uh, wheat crop has uh, kind of uh, hit the hit the lowest point in Australia. South America is doing uh, fairly well on uh, late harvest in Brazil. Argentina's had some locally heavy rain, but it shouldn't cause a real problem for any late harvest uh, or for their wheat crop in, uh, in uh, developing. And in, uh, in the Black Sea, Russia, Ukraine, on into Kazakhstan, the fact that Europe is hot means that there's uh, a little bit more variability in the Black Sea region, so they are getting some showers and pretty good soil moisture in uh, Russia and Ukraine as we go through this uh, time, uh, you know, when they're getting ready to harvest their wheat as well. Speaking of wheat harvest here in the U.S., let's wrap it up with how the forecast looks for the, the wheat areas and uh, what they're going to be dealing with and trying to get the harvest done. Well, I think certainly in, in Kansas this week is going to be a good week. They will have a few light showers, but generally uh, very warm conditions on temperatures, and they're going to be uh, able to make some headway. They certainly did over the past weekend. Now, after this week, there's maybe a little bit uh, higher chance for some showers uh, on a more consistent basis in the southern plains. And so from, uh, say, Saturday on through next week, uh, Conditions might be a little bit tougher for just wide-scale progress, but uh, this week is going to be a good week uh, for harvest in, in the Southern Plains, and they should get along pretty well. Very good. Enjoy the soccer. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks very much, Mike. Okay, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, coming up next, Erin Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, joins us. Her take on the G20 meetings and what we might expect now as the U.S. and China say they will continue to talk. We'll get into that next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. 
Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we've got more losses to begin the trading week. Trade activity is expected to remain somewhat sluggish during the holiday-shortened week with the 4th of July falling on Thursday. Trader interest expected to be spotty. In the outside markets, stocks rallying on Monday after U.S.-China trade relations thawed a little bit over the weekend. The president saying that China has agreed to buy large amounts of U.S. farm products, but we don't have any clarity about what those purchases are going to entail. We'll see new USDA reports released later on this afternoon, potentially showing improved crop quality and progress too. USDA telling us on Friday that producers had planted or still intend to plant 91.7 million acres to corn in 2019. That number around 2.5 million acres more than last year. December corn saw selling on Friday that stalled just short of chart support at 425, the low from June 6th, an hour into this Monday, new crop December corn at 421, down 10 and a half. Soybeans, November, down six and a half at 916 and a half. Chicago wheat, September, down 17 and a half, 509 and a half. Kansas City, September, down 19 cents at 442 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat, September, down 15 and a half at 538 and three quarters. Livestock at the Merck and Live Cattle Futures, the August contract up a nickel at 104.40. Feeder cattle, August up a dollar 47, 138.32. Lean hog futures, August contract up $2.47 at 78.45. The Dow is up 190 points, August crude oil up 90 cents a barrel. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, over the weekend, President Trump saying that he and Chinese President Xi have agreed to restart talks to end the U.S.-China trade war, although 
Not a lot of details at this point, but a lot of optimism. Let's talk about it with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Uh, do you share in the optimism? Well, as you know, I'm pretty much always an optimist on these things, and certainly having them talking is a lot better than not having them talking. So we still don't have a whole lot of details on how long this will be going on, but I'm hopeful this will lead to a resolution. Yeah, we've heard some comments from China about uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that the uh, uh, resolution is uh, is close at hand, but uh, at least uh, they are going to continue to talk. Um, do we have any more details or specifics than that? And, you know, the president's talked about China's going to be buying a lot of food and ag products uh, from us, but uh, not many details on that either. Well, I, no, we don't have a whole lot of details. I spent uh, the morning calling around to various contacts that we have in the U.S. government, and my colleagues in, our, in USCBC's Beijing office did the same on their Monday. Uh, a lot of folks are just waiting for the travelers to get back from Osaka to tell us a little bit more about uh, what was discussed in the room and what the timeline is going like, to look like moving forward. So hopefully we'll have more details in the coming days. Yeah, because... They've agreed to keep talking, but uh, then you have to set up. When will that be? Where will it be? What are the parameters going to be? So there are still a lot of details there. Absolutely. Uh, how long will or will we take? What we are counseling folks that are members of the U.S.-China Business Council to do is just keep in mind that this is good, as I said, certainly better than them not talking because of the risk of having further escalation. But also keep in mind that uh, the Trump administration has been very clear that it feels that tariffs are an effective tool of getting responses out of our trading partners. That's not unique to China, as your listeners already know. But we do have this fourth list of U.S. tariffs that has now been through the vetting process, even though it's not being implemented. So while there's no deadline for this round of negotiations, we are still urging uh, folks here to be cautious about the fact that if things were to sour again, there is still that threat out there of new tariffs that might be imposed. But we are pushing both sides to get to resolution this time and to have a plan of action to reduce and remove tariffs on both the U.S. and the Chinese side. Both sides are cautioning that this doesn't mean there's going to get it that a deal will get done but that optimism do you do you feel get the feeling that maybe both sides are just uh, getting a little weary on this and and want to see resolution or do you think they're just dug in for the long haul here well, I hope this isn't just that they're getting tired, because when it comes right down to it, part of the reason that the issues that the administration identified in its actions are ones that have largely seen support from uh, American companies and American farmers is they're the right issues to focus on. If they were easy to resolve, someone would have done it by now. So, uh, so fatigue should not be the justification. I do think, however, that these are really difficult issues. Uh, you know, and to, all joking aside, there's there's a reason why it has taken this long to get to a sustainable solution, and it appears that the administration is making good progress. The key here right now will be, uh, you know, by, by various reports, there's about 10 percent of the items that are still outstanding. They are most likely the most difficult 10 percent, so things that we'll have to do with 
what happens to all of those tariffs, uh, how a deal will be enforced, and how China will guarantee the equal treatment of domestic and foreign companies in the market. Those are going to take a little time. Hopefully both sides have the political will at this point to find a resolution that gives everyone a little bit of what they need, but also recognizes that we need to get to a resolution now. Let's talk about the political aspects. We know, of course, uh, we're in the 2020 uh, presidential campaign. That is that influences just about everything, it seems, in this country. What about in China? How much pressure is on President Xi to come up with a deal? There is pressure. I mean, you uh, the news out of China, both from my colleagues and what's been reported, is that uh, the pressure on President Xi is to not be uh, seen as weak in a deal with the United States. Now, for the United States purposes, there's things that China can do that will uh, have the added benefit of also making uh, President Xi uh, be able to achieve some of his own goals. So things that will genuinely reform China's economy in ways that his administration has been talking about for a number of years and that simply stalled over the past few years. But it is going to take a little bit of a compromise on both the U.S. and the Chinese side. We hear some reports about the Chinese economy. What are you hearing? Uh, there are definitely signs that it's slowing. Some of that should be expected. Um, the, you know, kind of the basic numbers are when you have an economy that's as large as China's or the United States, for that matter, it's harder to grow even 1% each year because you've got so much of a larger base that you have to grow off of. China's government has been working very hard to manage that slowdown uh, in a way that will be as smooth as possible. And to date, they've done pretty well. But the latest rounds of tariffs probably are going to be start having a bite on them. And some of the changes that might affect supply chains could have a jobs impact in China as well. So for companies that may be seeking to move out of China because they were trying to, they were using it as an export platform for the United States, there may be some shifts in jobs and and production coming out of China. But at the same time, we're also hearing from companies that are increasing what they're doing in China because their intended market is Chinese customers in China. So it's going to have a variety of effects, but China's government does seem to be trying to find ways to manage their way out of it. And they have had no qualms in the past of offering incentives or subsidies to both to consumers and to industries to try to manage that. So if things were to go uh, uh, in a different direction than what they were hoping, I suspect they would buy their way out of it. Have there been any signs of that so far? A little bit. I mean, we definitely are seeing more investment in some of the technology areas where China recognizes that it uh, doesn't want to be as dependent on American companies. We've seen some incentives to Chinese consumers to spend more money domestically. Those are kind of driven at the idea of stimulating domestic demand so that the economy grows on something other than exports to other countries. But it's still in the early stages at this point, and nothing that we are seeing has any significant warning signs. We're talking with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, as we got into this trade situation with China, this trade war, uh, there's been a lot of speculation that, however it turns out, the relationship between the U.S. and China will never, or at least in the foreseeable future, not be quite the same as it was before this started. They will not be as dependent on us. They're going to diversify. They're going to look for other markets, uh, even once they are buying again from the United States. How do you see this post 
agreement uh, period between the U.S. and China. Will it be as before, or do you see it uh, completely different or minor tweaks? How would you describe what you think is going to happen? Well, I think there's probably no way that things go back to exactly the way that they were before. I, I, I think, and this is not unique to U.S.-China trade, I think that uh, countries around the world are recognizing that while um, the further integration of the global economy has had benefits, there also have been some risks that come with being overly exposed to any one market. Uh, at the same time, I do, I, as I said, I've, I'm an optimist. I do remain hopeful that the types of issues that the Trump administration is pursuing with China are ones that are going to make some meaningful changes to some of the aspects of how uh, foreign companies have been challenged in China. Things like equal treatment with Chinese companies in the market, or some of the issues that your listeners deal with in terms of imported agriculture products being uh, subjected to unusual um, sanitary and phytosanitary inspections. If progress can be made on those areas, I think we would see not just a the kind of resumption of some aspects of the trade with some modifications to the supply chain, but also some improvements that hopefully we'll all be able to point to to see that progress has been made on those substantive issues. But I do think that both the United States and China will um, continue a path that will seek more diversification of customers around the world and more diversification of suppliers around the world. Because the big question is going to be, and it's already being asked even as we go through this, but again, when it's finally decided, if a deal gets done, the question many will be asking, was it worth it? And it will depend on in the, be in the eye of the beholder, I'm sure, but that's the question for both sides, right? Was it worth it? That, that is exactly uh, the question that we're all going to have to evaluate. And frankly, I don't think we're going to be able to evaluate that immediately. For some of the substantive issues that the U.S. is pushing China on, it's not just a matter of having the government say it's going to do something. It's actually seeing the implementation and then ensuring that what you think you got in the negotiation is what's actually implemented. So we'll, have an, we'll all do an initial assessment once a deal is reached, and, and probably we'll do some Monday morning quarterbacking to say they should have gotten more in this area or, or that one is nice but doesn't go as uh, – it doesn't do exactly what I needed it to do. But really it will be in the intervening six months, a year after it's implemented, that we'll be able to begin to assess whether it's made genuine structural changes. All right, Aaron, as always, thanks for your perspective. Good to talk with you again. Same here, Mike. Have a good day. Take care. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. So – Positive steps, but uh, still a long ways to go. We're going to get more thoughts on the G20 summit, uh, both between the U.S. and China, as well as U.S. and Japan. We'll talk with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation, get his take on all these uh, developments. That's coming up next right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. 
Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, pressure on agriculture on environmental issues has been growing the last several years and looks to probably intensify in the years to come. Let's talk about that with the CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, Charlie Arnott. Charlie, thank you for being with us. I know it certainly looks like the public at large and maybe some policymakers uh, don't feel that agriculture is doing enough when it comes to reducing uh, its carbon footprint. Now, agriculture has a good story to tell, but there seems to be a, kind of a, a disconnect here right now. Well, you're exactly right, Mike, and there are a number of things that are that are at play here kind of simultaneously. It's the change in consumer attitudes, consumer, uh, consumer purchasing behavior, the emergence and the growth of the purpose-driven consumer. We're also seeing that lack of appreciation and awareness of what actually happens on farms, the bias against size and scale of agriculture, and a number of other factors. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.
I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's get more perspective on the G20 Summit. Joining us now, Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, are you on the uh, optimist uh, bandwagon uh, concerning uh, U.S. and China talks? They're going to continue to talk, so uh, a lot of people are feeling very positive about that. Do you? Yeah, I do. I think it's always good to be back at the table. Um, well, of course, I'll want to dig into exactly uh, the issues they're going to focus on first. You know, the main news out of last week, and of course, was they'll restart the talks. And the President Trump said that the proposal to put new tariffs on $300 billion of Chinese imports is going to be suspended. So that won't happen. Uh, so they can get back and uh, work on the issues. The, there were some things that held them up there at the end of April, early May, on some of the specific uh, Chinese structural issues on intellectual property protection, how they treat uh, foreign businesses, especially U.S. companies in China. They still have to be worked along. And, of course, in agriculture, we're all really interested in the tariffs and purchases issue. Um, will China buy? Will they make some big announcements on uh, purchases? And when will tariffs start to get uh, reduced and eliminated? So um, continuation of uh, where they were, but it's good to see them uh, talking again. Okay, we've been here before, though, new talks and optimism and all that, and it hasn't led to any agreement yet. Do you fe- Does this feel different this time, or just because we've been at it so long that uh, maybe they're finally getting close, or do you get the feeling it's just going to keep dragging on? Well, I think we've gone through the rupture, okay? We went through the uh, whatever was happening there at the end of April that stopped, that uh, broke that up. So we did that. So that part's done. So maybe there's more of a, uh, hopefully, a specificity about the issues and what has to get resolved or what can be resolved. Now, that'll hopefully become clearer as they re-engage on the negotiations. So let's uh, let's hope we put this uh, rupture behind us and we can move on towards an agreement. Um, There were no out-of-the-discussions last weekend timelines associated. Um, Maybe that will come along. It wasn't said there. There was an awful lot going on over in Japan uh, at the end of last week. So maybe, again, we'll be looking for more clarity on who will be negotiating, what will be the timetable, 
all the things that you expect to happen when you're into a serious discussion. So that will tell us a lot about uh, how much uh, each side is going to invest into this next round of negotiations, but it's certainly good we're, uh, we're getting them going again. The president says China is going to be buying a tremendous amount of food and agricultural product, and they're going to start that very soon, almost immediately. We're going to give them lists of things we'd like them to buy. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, I hopefully that'll lead to uh, lead to some reaction on the Chinese side. They didn't immediately react uh, to that announcement. And of course, there wasn't anything official along those lines. But purchases have been part of these discussions since they began uh, officially uh, began uh, end of last November when the uh, negotiations between the U.S. and China really got going. And they've been a part of the discussion all along and will continue to be. And I know agriculture, uh, we will certainly be uh, continuing our discussions with the administration and how important that is to get back into the China market the way we were uh, used to be. And, of course, going along with that is what's going to happen with these tariffs. So those two kind of go together. Um, but uh, we certainly want to see some uh, action by China in the market. Well, the public rhetoric, anyway, is at least more positive, so we, we'll see where it takes us. Now, with Japan, it has been more positive. You, last time you were with us, you were talking about uh, things that are looking promising for getting a deal done there. Yes, I think they are. I think there there's a little more uh, specificity on timeline. The next last time that uh, President Trump and Prime Minister Abe were together about a month ago, they had agreed they would continue talking, but no expectation of any uh, agreements until after the upper house elections in japan those are going to be in the middle of this month of july now that we've turned into july and so hopefully after that uh... both sides can really get down to business and try to get a deal on agriculture um, and i think there's been a lot of discussion that they're looking for a deal on ag tariffs now at the same time we have to remember the president said and has told his negotiators at USTR to work on a deal with Japan dealing with autos, and they have until the middle of November to try to come up with a deal, or else he would, uh, you know, still the lingering idea of putting uh, tariffs on imported cars and, and uh, parts, uh, and that could go effect in the middle of November. So while these two, it's hard to tell if the ag and the auto tariffs, how linked they are, but let's just say these discussions are happening at the same time. So in some way, there's probably some linkage there, but uh, we hope they can make some progress and get to where we want to be on tariffs with Japan. Meanwhile, back in Congress, uh, what's next for USMCA? Anything uh, scheduled as far as uh, any movement on USMCA? Well, this month, uh, I think, uh, could be a, a really telling month. Now, we've started the negotiating process. The uh, House Democrats uh, named their negotiators. They had a meeting last week with the team at USTR with Ambassador Lighthizer before he went off to Japan, uh, met with the group. And they've focused on these four issues of labor, environment, overall enforcement, and drug pricing. Uh, not easy issues overall, but it's down to those issues to try and be worked on. And next week uh, is the first day, July 9th, when the administration could, again, does not have to, but could send the implementing bill uh, to Congress. Um, but usually that's uh, stayed there. They hold off on that until they get some kind of an agreement with the congressional leadership that they'll move the bill to the floor. So I think the month of July will be very telling of whether we're going to be able to see it both 
advance this month, and there's still a possibility they could make an agreement and move a bill or at least make really good progress, come to agreement on some of these outstanding issues, and we'd be in good shape uh, when they come back in the fall. We shall see. Dave, thanks for the update. You bet. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Coming up tomorrow, reaction to the latest USDA numbers and what the markets are saying and doing. We'll talk about all that coming up tomorrow here on AOA. Hope you'll join us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.